From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 515, Wireshark with guest Timothy Warner. Recorded Monday, December 19th, 2016. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. It's a new year with some new shows, and my guest today is Tim Warner, an author and technology evangelist for Pluralsight, an industry-leading professional technology training organization. Tim's worked in many varieties of IT since entering the field full-time in 1997. His current areas of focus are Microsoft Azure, AWS, PowerShell, and open-source technologies, especially and including Wireshark. And Tim and his family reside in Nashville, Tennessee, where... It's probably not quite as snowy as it is up here. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much, Richard. Glad to be here. And you're correct. We don't have snow at the moment, but that's liable to change. It's been uh, climactically pretty interesting down here in Nashville over the past few years. Well, you know, the the variations, whether we go two or three years out of any snow in the city, and then we get bombed. This is the bomb yeah. year, so... Uh, not enough plows, not enough anything. So, And the fun right. part, of course, is being the kind of guy I am, I put a gen- backup generator in. So I'm actually running on my generator right now so I can still make podcasts. <laughs> That's smart and proactive. Uh, no, and, and obsessive and weird at the same time. I'm comfortable with all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> same here. We talked about Wireshark, oh my goodness, four or five years ago. It's been a while. Maybe we need to recap with folks, like, what's Wireshark and why we care? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, as you mentioned when you gave my bio, I got into IT in the late 90s, and I remember very clearly becoming, you know, just obsessed with Ethernet networking and how to visualize it. Mm -hmm. And at that time, in the Microsoft world, you had Network Monitor, and there was the free version that came with Windows Server, but if you really wanted to do actual troubleshooting, you needed to pay for a systems management server. Right. And then meanwhile, here's this tool called Ethereal that was being distributed for free, free and open source software. And that really made quite an impact back then. And there's a lot of good, interesting history about how that project evolved. But we know it now as Wireshark. It's a cross-platform protocol analyzer. It's still free and open source. I respect the developers a lot that the interface and the mechanics of the tool are the same, regardless of whether you're using Windows, Linux, or Mac OS. So that's always a good thing. And it's just a fantastic tool for turning hunches and qualitative ideas about network performance into quantitative numbers where you can actually visualize what's going on and make a case to the powers that be to make changes in your infrastructure as a result. Yeah, looking at the blinky lights on a network switch is not going to tell you a whole lot about what's actually going on in your network. No doubt. (laughs) But, I mean, the problem is when you get down to raw metal of just looking at traffic is you've got to try and identify all that traffic. But as I understand it, Wireshark's gotten really smart about identifying what's what. Yeah, that's very much true. I mean, I'm colorblind, so all the color coding is limited use to me. Mm -hmm. But assuming you have good color perception, the default color rule set 
pops out at you. It right. makes it easier to see TCP handshake errors and retransmissions. And you can totally customize the color rules and mark packets as you're working in, in your own specific environment. Another feature in Wireshark that a lot of people don't know about that's cool is called the expert system. In the Wireshark interface, in the lower left corner, there's a little globe. And again, it changes color. So green, red, yellow, the traditional traffic light colors. And you can click that, and it can give you some really nice heads up on potential issues that it sees. I guess there's a database of best practices and guidance that, that go behind the expert system. But I always want to promote that because... When you're looking at a capture of potentially tens of thousands of frames or more, just like you said, Richard, it's too easy for your eyes to cross. Yeah, you just get overwhelmed by that sheer volume. You know, networks are busy. We got gigabit for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So I often say that the expert systems are really good first stop to see if anything jumps out. And also in the statistics menu, the first couple options off the statistics menu allow you to see just at a high level what's happening in the trace. And then you can start diving in with filters and stuff from there. And so what's the typical thing that drives someone to Wireshark in the first place? Am I thinking my network's saturated? Like what, where, when do people start caring? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, nowadays, with businesses almost always being 24-7, 365, there's always concerns about maintaining service level agreements, sure. and penalties if you're not meeting those. So if you're having support tickets bubble up about customers having connectivity issues, and of course, there's the perennial, this system's too slow, Right. those issues are going to lead network administrators, system administrators, developers to want to visualize the traffic. It, I mean, the usual campaign is Wi-Fi these days, right? I mean, I think most people don't worry too much about their wired network connections, but everybody complains about Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's true. And that that actually opens up a, a secondary discussion about the difficulty of analyzing Wi-Fi traffic. Mm -hmm. In Windows, for instance, you can't out of the box analyze Wi-Fi. You, you have to put your wireless network interface into what's called monitor mode to do that. Mac OS, Linux, no problem. You can do that at any time. But with Windows, there's evidently some hard-coded limits in Windows OS that prevent that. So what you typically need to do if you're on a Windows machine is purchase a compatible WLAN card. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that's intentional from a security perspective? Because Wi-Fi sniffing is generally for nefarious reasons. Yeah, I suspect so. I suspect that security is the reason for doing that. It's interesting that one of the leading companies who makes those WPCAP or AirPCAP is the protocol, AirPCAP yeah. devices, is a company called Riverbed Technologies. They make security appliances and appliances that leverage Wireshark heavily. Mm -hmm. And Gerald Combs, the inventor of Wireshark, is on the board at Riverbed. So there's this seven degrees of separation yeah, seemingly that much. in the Wireshark. Well, and, I, and I've known Riverbed for a long time. Their original product, if you go way, way back, was an exchange server accelerator. And wow. It, you know, it was, it was, you've got, you're trying to use Exchange Server over your WAN. And so you put one of these appliances on either side of the connection and it sort of compresses back, back when A, Exchange wasn't in the cloud or B, there wasn't mm -hmm. cloud. And, uh, and Exchange was a pretty inefficient bandwidth consumer. So, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, I think it was Steelhead was the name of the product. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah. 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 But it's interesting to see them move into this space because they've always been a network company. 
Mm-hmm. So, but air P cap. So these are, well, I see there's USB sticks here too, right? Like there's all kinds of devices. Yeah, that'd probably be the most convenient way to go is to buy one of the air P cap USB sticks and then just pop that into your monitoring workstation and off you go. Right. I want to, I want to quickly finish my thought earlier of what of would lead people to use Wireshark. Mm-hmm. The SLAs and the user complaints is one. Another important one's actually forensics. If you need to make a case against one or more employees who you suspect are do- violating your company's acceptable use policy. Running a BitTorrent server on the client, on the side? <laughs> Not that that would <laughs> ever happen, goodness knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wireshark, is, I often say, leaves nothing to the imagination. Yeah. It's going to scoop up everything. You can reconstitute images, executables. It's it's pretty powerful to say to use an understatement. When we talk about layer three switching, which is most of our switches these days, you don't you can't just plug into one port on a switch and see all the traffic on other ports, can you? Right. Good point indeed. No, you know, a lot of this relies upon understanding the TCPIP protocol suite and Ethernet, actually. Mm-hmm. In fact, I found because I've been presenting on Wireshark pretty consistently over the last few years. And I think a big barrier to entry is that not only do you have to understand the tool and how to write filters and and dissect the frames, but you have to have an understanding of Ethernet networking and TCP and the OSI reference model. So there's quite a bit of skills that are presumed right off the top. And along those is, like you said, at the layer three boundary. You have to sometimes get creative in performing your capture. Sure. The good news there is that there's lots of different options. You can use port mirroring on your switch. So you, for instance, let's say you're monitoring port 22 on a particular switch. You could simply mirror or send copies of traffic that's intended to and from that port to your port where you have Wireshark running. You also can install the PCAP driver on servers and clients and tap into them directly in the Wireshark interface. It's called the remote interface feature. Mm -hmm. You could always, what's called hub out, where you unplug somebody from their regular switch, put them into a layer one hub, if if you can find those. (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) And then plug into that hub yourself. And of course, at a hub layer one, everything is visible. Yeah, for better or worse. For better or worse, yeah. So so fortunately, there's quite a bit of flexibility on how you set up your capture to overcome some of the Ethernet things. Because I would think, you know, one of the useful services here, if you could get the data organized well enough, is to see, you know, you're going to see your regular network negotiations, authentication, things like that, the various known applications communicating with each other and, and so on, mm-hmm. and then... The unknowns. And I would think, you know, this is a way to sniff out a bad actor, to sniff out a a piece of malware. Yes. And that brings up the issue of network baselining. Mm -hmm. I always recommend that if you haven't done so, capture just ordinary traffic, the peaks and the valleys over a period of time, and invest the time in studying the normal ebb and flow of your network. That's going to make it almost infinitely easier to spot anomalies if and when those issues come up. Does the tooling actually have, hey, that's an exchange packet, this is a an NTLM negotiation, like those kinds of identifiers, or is it purely at the TCP IP level? It, it goes pretty much full stack mm-hmm. from the layer 7 application layer all the way down to the Ethernet MAC addresses and so on. The Gerald Combs, the inventor of Wireshark, I've listened to quite a few interviews that he's given, and he defines Wireshark as a protocol dissector library. 
It has a humongous list of dissectors that understand so many different protocols and services and uses, if you don't mind the $5 word, heuristics Mm, to sometimes guess. Like if you're running services on off ports, Wireshark may sometimes run into some problems identifying what application that traffic's associated with, but it can even look at patterns and make a best effort guess at what kind of protocol or service is being represented by those frames. And we talk about typical ports, right? Your 113s and Mm. and so forth. So that's no big deal. I would expect you could identify all of those. It's when you get to port 80 and 443 that you're like, okay, this would be everything. (laughs) That's right. Fortunately, there's a robust filter syntax. It uses a, I guess it's a standard called Berkeley Packet Filter or BPF. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's pretty intuitive syntax. It uses the dot separators that you see in object-oriented programming languages and scripting languages. And there's lots of hints and tips. For instance, when you're looking at a frame capture and you start cracking open a frame and you find an interesting field and you say, aha, hmm, this looks interesting. I want to see all frames that use this particular port number or whatever. You can actually right-click the field And there's an option in the shortcut menu to add that to a filter. So in many cases, you don't even have to know the syntax off the top of your head. You can just choose candidate frames and build not only simple filters, but you can do ands, ors, negations, you know, all the Boolean options. It's very powerful. This sounds more expert level, too. And the main thing you're trying to do is is diminish the known traffic so you can focus on the unknown. Yeah, the negation is good for reducing noise. And and again, I mean, like you mentioned, for HTTP and this sort of thing, or DNS, you could just simply type those application protocols in the filter box, and then boom, like DNS, for instance, and mm-hmm. then suddenly you see a subset that's just DNS, or boot P you'd use for DHCP, HTTP, and that kind of stuff. You don't have to necessarily craft these crazy-looking regular expressions-ish queries. Speaking of which, you can use regular expressions in your filters as well. Now, the story I've heard is if you have a problem, you could solve it with regular expressions, but then you have two problems. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic saying for yeah, sure. <laughs> it, works, it works for lots of cases, right? I had a problem. I tried to solve it with SharePoint. Now I have two problems. Yeah, that's fair. I can do that too. <laughs> but to the point about HTTP, that, that reminds me of something I wanted to make sure to say. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully, I hope that most businesses are using TLS, HTTPS, by default. Internally, externally, it doesn't matter. And of course, that's full encryption. So you're going to see a bunch of black colored frames and you're not going to see much of interest by design. So it's bears saying that you need to have your TLS private key and you can add that into Wireshark in order to decrypt that traffic. So for your servers, Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. plug your keys in and then you would be able to see the traffic coming from your servers. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. That's really interesting. And the same for Wi-Fi. If you've overcome the air PCAP issue with Windows and you can see not only the monitor and maintenance frames, but the actual payloads, I would hope that you're using WPA or WPA2 for encryption. You'll need to supply that key or certificate, as the case may be, in order to make that traffic transparent as well. 
Awesome. Tim, give me one second here because this episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of our leading projects called Already focuses on getting volunteers into the right place at the right time. HTBox is deploying this application into the field in January of 2017 right now, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible charitable donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Okay, I'm smitten with this idea of getting that baseline and getting a feel for what's going on in your network. Like right away, I'm thinking how much of my traffic really is 443 versus 80. Like just seeing really are arguably bad practices going on in my network that I didn't know about. Right. Yeah. The first thing I'd suggest you do is after you complete your capture, you check out the statistics menu. And I just, on my PC, I quickly fired up Wireshark sure. <laughs> to make sure I'm given the correct. And how much capture are we talking about here that's meaningful? Is, it, is a day enough? Okay, that opens up a lot of conversations. I mean, <laughs> because Wireshark is going to capture everything on your port, let's say, if you're just capturing your own Ethernet adapter on your system, right? it could potentially wind up being a multi-gigabyte file. Sure. So one question is you could do what's called a capture filter and reduce the amount of traffic volume you have in your initial capture. Right. In the field, I find most people tend to open the capture wider because they don't want to miss something like you said, and then use what are called display filters to filter after the fact. Which means they're capturing gigs and gigs of data. Yeah. I, I, w- I would recommend maybe doing multiple smaller captures over a uh, over a work week, maybe, or mm-hmm. at least a few days during the week to just try to capture a representative sample. And are we really capturing traffic from a particular machine or a particular switch? Like what makes sense for an initial capture? How broadly should we go? If I was working with a company, say here in Nashville, mm-hmm. I might want to look at, um, well, especially if they rely upon a line of business application, I'd want to look at traffic there. I'd probably want to look at a representative workstation or so. So yeah, ultimately your baseline library would hit a few key systems, client and and server systems in the environment. Um, Depending upon the user base, it may be helpful to get a capture from a remote employee or a a synthetic or real customer outside the perimeter. But we are talking about a per machine capture here. There's just really no way to take on the whole network. That's right. Because you can do port mirroring, you could actually feasibly, from your management workstation, gather a single capture that is pulling from multiple sources. Right. So that's possible. But of course, you probably aren't going to be able to do much else on your workstation. No, no, that machine's going to drop to its knees while this goes on. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Even with gigabit Ethernet probably on your desktop. Yeah. I would almost be interested in inserting myself into the edge of the firewall just to see all the traffic coming and going right. from the internet. Sure. That, that's a good point. It's a broad question. I think it just depends on what the business is doing and what kind of stuff goes on. I mean, right. for instance, I, I worked at a private high school here in Nashville and they have traffic that is in some ways similar, in some ways very different from, say, an accounting firm down the street. Mm-hmm. But regardless, when you wind up with the capture itself, in the Wireshark interface, that statistics menu, the first few options, specifically there's an option called protocol hierarchy, and that's where you can actually get a percentage breakdown of traffic. Right. 
So we've got 89.9% HTTP, Surprise. and then it goes down from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully, you, you might, well, I should. It depends, but hopefully, hopefully not. You might see a surprise, but it's good to recognize that instead of just having it be invisible, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm also always surprised at just how much DNS traffic there actually is. Like, people think that DNS yeah. servers are trivial, but especially in an Active Directory network, like, those DNS servers are hit constantly. So, I think you you would get some surprises, and, and in a good way, like, you start to understand what is eating up cycles. Yeah, it's not necessarily looking for nefarious activity. Mm -hmm. It's looking for bottlenecks and opportunities for optimization. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And and of course, the difference here is like DNS is not big packets. It's small, but it's frequent and it's latency sensitive because it kind of affects everything. Mm -hmm. So, it's just one of those ones I can imagine pop out as, uh, huh, look at that. That goes on a lot as opposed to, I mean, yeah, you pretty quickly, if you figure out someone's watching Netflix on the side, that's going to show up. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's a reason why protocols like DNS and the Network Time Protocol, mm -hmm. NTP, and the ICMP for ping are used in distributed denial of service attacks because they can be amplified so much. Yeah. You know, one request out can come back with a heck of a lot more data than what went out, you mm -hmm. see. Yeah, the packets, the packet requests are small, so your outbound traffic's small, but the effort to send back is substantially larger. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, mm -hmm. if I was thinking DDoS, the ratio mm -hmm. between my request and your response is what's important. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And plus, you've got to be able to respond to those things. And DNS is one of those you know, low-level protocols that people forget you you always need to respond to, and then the responses are complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, what about UDP versus TCP? Is that even relevant in this conversation? Very, very much so. I mean, as you know, UDP is kind of best effort message in a bottle, but yeah. TCP is supposed to guarantee response and... Order and all that good stuff. Yeah, all that good stuff. So there's the whole... SYN, SYNAC, ACK, three-way handshake, and there's FINS. So mm -hmm. definitely, when you're looking at, say, client com user complaints that they're having trouble accessing their business's line of business application, you want to take a look at mm -hmm. the TCP process between the client and the server and look for like hard resets. You, you want to see a graceful three-way handshake, and you want to see a graceful FIN or finish breakdown you're seeing resets right. that'll get that'll jump out in your capture because they'll be colored black and red by default but that will lead you to think wondering what's breaking down in this communication between client and server is that on the client side the server side or in the network in between and one thing that's really popular to do with that in wireshark is to follow the tcp conversations between client and server you can actually pop them out in a separate window and you can look at HTTP requests and responses and hopefully get more details on where the breakdown may be taking place. Interesting, yeah. Because I, I could imagine trying to diagnose something like mm -hmm. a, a defective switch. You know, certain classes of traffic that are getting steady numbers of errors, and Wireshark's going to show up those right. errors better exactly. than just about anything else does. Yeah, because, you know... You'll see a flood of MAC addresses and IP addresses, but you can lock into any of those and add those to your filter. So you can sure. say, show me only traffic from this MAC address to this IP address range, let's say, that uses these protocols and these ports and has this kind of error. I mean, you can really 
potentially draw out very granular filters. And then once you get your result set, that's another conversation, you can export the data in a number of different formats to generate reports for your boss or for whomever. Can you automate a bunch of this? Is this something I want to run on a routine basis and sort of have warnings pop up when something changes? As far as like being able to do triggered captures, like having a Wireshark mm-hmm. engine just sitting there waiting, the best I've been able to find in my research is that's not supported by the tool. You'd have to go to good old Riverbed and make use of some of their solutions for that. Right. There is a um, scripting language. I'm not really familiar with it myself. It's called Lua. And that is a scripting right. language that's supported natively by Wireshark. So that's a possibility for automation. Also, there's besides the GUI, when you install the Wireshark package, you get the um, tshark.exe executable, the command line version. And that's eminently scriptable. My favorite is Windows PowerShell. I haven't seen too much with PowerShell wrapping T-Shark, but I imagine if you go to the PowerShell gallery or GitHub, you'll probably find some. I'm sure, you know, there's PowerShell for everything. Absolutely viable uh, option. And, you know, people know how to work through there. Although, you know, there's a fair bit inside of PowerShell itself, just using basic network commands that could tell you a fair bit. Wireshark is the big kahuna. Not to do too many Hawaiian metaphors in a (laughs) row, but like it it is a big hammer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, sometimes Wireshark may be indeed too much for the job, mm-hmm. and in which case there are certainly alternatives. In the Microsoft world, the network monitor has been supplanted by a tool called Microsoft Message Analyzer, or MMA. Right. And, you know, I, I like MMA. It's a good protocol analyzer. And you know what I actually use MMA for mostly is for log parsing. It's especially suited for decoding and parsing log files from, you know, anything from event logs to performance logs to IIS logs, and even to the point, Azure logs for Azure web apps and VMs. And in the Linux open source world, there's TCP dump. Ettercap is used alongside with Wireshark or with other tools. Yeah, it may be too big of a hammer, or it may be just the right fit. Sure. Well, and it also sounds like it's one of these tools you want in your pocket, yeah. just so you you know you can get in and study the network directly, which I find really interesting. And and be agnostic platform, agnostic to to vendor. Like that's what I like about this tool is that it it's open source. While Riverbed's deeply tied to them, they are just a networking company. You know, there there is they they're not caring about any particular protocol or vertical or anything like that. So you should be able to. I I just fear this idea that you use a tool that's sort of blind to certain kinds of traffic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I've had more than one conference attendee come up to me and say they were a government contractor or worked for the government directly in the states mm-hmm. here, and they said that they've gotten some pushback about using Wireshark because. I guess there is suspicion because it's an open source project. And I find that curious because I find that the fact that you can inspect the Wireshark source code, I mean, the application itself leaves nothing to the imagination. You know what I mean? So I would think that the government would be more prone to use a tool as opposed to, say, you know, X number of proprietary closed source tools. Yes, it's anti-secrecy. Yeah. Being open source. Mm-hmm. Like, you know exactly what it's doing. There's the code. No surprises. Right. 
But I mean, with with so much pressure around network inspection in one form or another, I could see why people are generally edgy about this, you know, overall, irrespective of yeah. who and what and why. Certainly, I've run into issues with organizations where the staff just think IT is spying on them, right? Is reading yeah. their emails and, and going through their machines and so forth. It's like, well, corporate email. So whether they are or not, I don't think they have the time. And you, what you guys talk about is not that interesting, but it is corporate email. They have a liability. Yeah. Who has the time? What's the, who would have time to look at all that stuff? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many end users I've supported who just assume that we systems administrator know there's passwords. Yes. And it's somewhat a surprise to them that we don't, you we, know? We generally, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I can't give you your password because I don't want to. It's like, I really don't know it. That's not how the system works. <laughs> and more to the point, I don't want to know it. Yeah, Make I really sure don't. choose your own password. I do not want to know it. But yeah, you brought up a good point, Richard, because Again, this definitely is apropos and bears saying that um, this could definitely constitute a breach of your own business's acceptable use policy. Sure. So it's important to before just firing up Net Wireshark to make sure, do you own the network? Yes. Do you have explicit authorization to perform a capture? Because it will leave nothing to the imagination. No. We are we are bearing the network bare. There's no two ways about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, inside of corporate networks, there is a responsibility for IT to know what's going on there. You know, the counter is also true. How could this traffic have moved across your network without your knowledge, you know? So there, there's a concern there. But it, I guess privacy rules vary from country to country and, and region right. to region. And you need to know before you start sniffing through all those packets. Yeah, never assume. Yeah, there, there are consequences to that with the best intentions. Yep. Tim, a fast half hour, my friend. This was really yeah. interesting stuff. Great to refresh. I just took a quick peek. Last time I talked about Wireshark, 2010, with Ms. Laura uh, Chapel, no less. So, who's, no kidding. Who That's seems awesome. The, still the center of the universe with Wireshark, right? Co-founder of Wireshark University. Like, she's still doing the thing. She is. When I give presentations on Wireshark, I say the two names you need to know are Gerald Combs and Laura Chapel. There exactly. you go. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'll, I'll definitely provide a link to Wireshark University for those who want to do that. And you've got the Wireshark classes for Pluralsight, right? No, actually, I I've cover Wireshark in some of my Pluralsight courses, but I have yet to do an honest-to-goodness Wireshark course. Pluralsight does have a number of Wireshark courses in the library, and I know the instructors and vouch for them. They're definitely good. Awesome. Yeah. But you've got plenty of plenty of classes on server and, and Azure and so forth. You've been busy. Yeah, my instructional focus over the last year at least has been in Azure and then to a smaller degree Amazon Web Services. Awesome. And where can we see you speak? Let's see. Um, I'm going to this year in 2017, I'm going to be at the Cloud and DevOps Summit which is in Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. I wish I had the dates and all this handy. You have show notes, right, Richard? I do have show notes, so I will I can, uh, provide I, those. I can send you that info. For sure. And um, there's the PowerShell Summit. I participate in that. That's also in the first half of 2017. Yep, just had Don Jones on talking about that too. So we'll, uh, we'll make sure the links are there. And then finally, I'll be speaking at Tech Mentor in Redmond, Washington, at the Microsoft campus. Again, that's in 2017, but I just... I, Typically the summertime, as I recall. Like yeah. August yeah, or so. Yeah, good time of year for that. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. 
Tim Warner, thank you so much for coming to talk on the show. You're welcome, Richard. Thanks again for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.